Continuing in our series in Leviticus, we come this morning to Leviticus chapter 23. We'll be reading verses 1 through 3. And our New Testament complementary passage is the Epistle to the Hebrews chapter 4. So with your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 23, in honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to the epistle to the Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 and continuing in the reading of God's word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we pray that you would open your word to us by your spirit, Feed us on rich food from heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. When the children of Israel have been brought up out of Egypt, God has delivered them with a mighty and outstretched hand. He's done wondrous works. He's sent plagues against Egypt and Pharaoh. He's destroyed Pharaoh's army. He's led them out 
through the Red Sea, parted the waters, they've crossed on dry land, and they've come to Mount Sinai. And they've camped at Mount Sinai now for a year. They've been camped here for a year, and God has shown them glorious things. Thunder and lightning and the mountain trembling and fire and and speaking to Moses and laying out how it is that he is going to recreate this communion. He's going to cause them to rebuild Eden in the Holy of Holies. This place of treasure, this place of gold, this place of security, of the very presence of God. He's going to show how the people can come back into communion with him. And then he said, when I send you into this land, I don't want you to be horrible, nasty people, the way that these horrible, nasty people are in this land. This is why the land is vomiting them out. The land itself is disgusted with their behavior. Don't be like that, but rather do this. And it's a simple thing. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine what a witness that nation was. Imagine a nation in in whose constitution is written, love your neighbor as yourself. People would stream up to such a nation. And they did. The queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of this ruler of this great nation. A nation which was built on a love for God and a love for one another. And that's all well and good, but if you know your heart, then you know that The command to love God, the command to love our neighbor, is one that I need to hear again and again and again. I need to be refreshed in. Because if I simply walk out of this room and say, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, maybe that'll last until I get to the parking lot. And I take a whiff and I go, ooh, kava smells really good today. (laughs) And all thoughts of my passion for God and my passion for my wife or my my neighbor are out of my head as I go, ooh, mm, that smells good. Beloved, you and I need these cycles. We need these cycles of the feast days that God appoints here. He appoints the Sabbath, the Passover, the first fruits, weeks, the Feast of Trumpet, the Day of Atonement. We need these things as means of grace. Ways in which you and I are strengthened, ways in which you and I are confirmed, ways in which you and I are reminded Ways in which you and I grow and become men and women of grace. At the very heart, at the very heart of maintaining this discipline of godliness, at the very core 
is the practice of the Sabbath. It's the first feast that God lays out here. The first of these great feasts is the Sabbath. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a day of rest. Now the question is, rest from what? What is it that we rest from? Now, there are these commands, and we saw it in Isaiah already, to rest from things that otherwise are just fine. Going your own way, talking idly, just just shooting the breeze, we might say. Just shooting the breeze. There there are things that in in and of themselves are not sinful, and yet on the Sabbath we're to set off to one side. Now, the challenge is, what do we replace it with? And that's where, and it's not unique to our day. It's not unique to Puritan Sabbath keeping. It goes all the way back, as we've already seen in the worship service, it goes all the way back to the children of Israel. Because if the Sabbath is simply a day in which I shouldn't do this, 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 or this, it becomes a chore. It becomes a burden. It becomes, it becomes a day that I can't wait to get on the other side of. Because I got a life. <laughs> I got things to do. I got places to go. I got things that are important. I got responsibilities on me. And so the Sabbath can become, in many ways, a chore. Our Westminster Confession of Faith, and particularly the Shorter Catechism, question 60, says, how is the Sabbath to be sanctified? And the answer is, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy convocation, a holy resting, gathering for worship, and a holy resting the entire day from works that are otherwise lawful, or certainly works that are in and of themselves evil, We are to rest from both of those things. We are to take up the entire day in the public and private worship of God and in works of of necessity and mercy. Works of necessity and mercy. And that's a great guide for us. It's 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 a really helpful thing if you're wondering, how can I better use this day? then I certainly encourage you to draw your, draw your eyes to the Shorter Catechism, question 60. Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent review for ways in which the day can be better used as the tool that God has given it to us for. But, I like the Heidelberg Catechism question better. And so let me read the Heidelberg Catechism Question 103. The question is, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And here's the answer. First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend to the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, 
to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit. And so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. This day is the day which is the closest approximation of what eternity will be. Now, I'll be honest with you, as a child, that sounded horrible. Eternity is going to be one long worship service. It's going to be me not being able to ride my bicycle or watch television. Eternity. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) I was not enthusiastic about the idea of the Sabbath day being a picture of eternity as a young child. And maybe some of you young children are in the same boat. Maybe some of you older children are in the same boat. I want to look at the Sabbath this morning. I want to look at it in three different ways. The first is, let's look at that very first Sabbath. The very first Sabbath that Scripture shows us. Secondly, we'll look at the Sabbath people. The people defined by the Sabbath. The first Sabbath, the Sabbath people. And then, thirdly and finally, we'll look at the Sabbath rest. That rest that is an inherent part of what the Sabbath is. But the first Sabbath is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Here we are in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there. They are in God's presence. And on that seventh day, there's rest. All the the work that God had given Adam to do, not on this day. Because what is at the heart of Adam's relationship with God on that Sabbath day? What is it that God is resting from? He's resting from his great work of creation. And what is it that Adam is resting from? He's resting from his great work of organizing and acting as as a steward over that creation. But he's resting in peace with God. That's that first Sabbath day. With no sin. No sin anywhere in the picture. Adam is simply in the presence of God. No shame and no guilt. Think about that for a minute. I said at the opening of the service, I've ministered to people from all over the place. And the common thread 
of people who struggle. People who, who, who come with burdens. The common thread is shame and guilt. Shame. What have I done? What, what is it that others perceive me to be? Who is it that others perceive me to be? Guilt. How have I not been the person I should? How have I been the person I shouldn't? Shame and guilt. Beloved, do you see that in your own heart? Is it a struggle of yours? Is it something that you wrestle with? Is it a besetting problem? Shame. Guilt. I think if you're human, it is. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your circumstances. I, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and he was, he was saying, you know, these, these, this particular group of people, this, this particular subsection, they really struggle with shame and guilt. I said, you know what? I'm 58 years old. I've been a minister for 20 some odd years. I've raised children. You know what my biggest struggle is? Shame and guilt. The things I should have done. The things I wish I hadn't done. It's common to everyone. Beloved, on that first Sabbath, there was no shame. And there was no guilt. Adam and Eve had not fallen. And in that first Sabbath day, you and I see what the Sabbath should be. What the Lord's Day should be. A day in which you and I rest at peace with God. Perfect fellowship with Him in that first Sabbath. Perfect communion with Him. And given to you as a gift. Does Sunday feel like a gift to you? Does it feel like something you've got to get ready for, endure, whatever? If you have the slightest sense of the horribleness of your own heart, if you have the slightest sense of your selfishness, of your narcissism, of your ugliness and evil, if you've got the slightest sense, man, a whole day for God to say, I love you. I'm at peace. And you're at peace. A whole day for God to commune with you and to draw you into His loving presence. It's given as a gift from God to man. It is God who keeps that first Sabbath. 
And it is God who invites man into that place of rest with him. And his people then become known by their keeping of the Sabbath. God's people are a Sabbath people. It's, it's, it's the core practice of God's people. It, it runs throughout from Genesis all the way to Revelation. At the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, we read where God established the Sabbath day. And in Revelation, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This theme of a day belonging to God, set apart for God, a day of communion with God is absolutely central throughout the entire scripture from beginning to end. Here in this section, there's only one other event of all these feasts. There's only one other feast that rises to the level of scrutiny that the Sabbath day does. And that is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Two days. One it happens only once a year. That Day of Atonement that is very carefully prescribed and every single person is supposed to engage in it. The other is the weekly Sabbath. This weekly day in which we come back to God. God here is at rest in his dwelling among his people, in the tabernacle, in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, in, in, in this beautiful outflow from the Day of Atonement. God is at rest and invites his people to come and enter into that rest. It's a, it's a reenactment on a very personal and individual level. It's a reenactment of the high priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year. Do you see that? The Sabbath is Eden. The Sabbath day is this day where we come and rest in God. The tabernacle is the picture of Eden and the Holy of Holies in particular. This place in which no sin can come. This place of light and healing and wealth. This beautiful, glorious place. And each and every week, you and I enter into that place of holy communion with God. You and I get to do the work that was only done once a year by the high priest. You and I enjoy being able to come in each week into this holy presence of God. So if you see it as a reenactment, a reenactment of this great, Day of Atonement. Let me ask you a question. How did it get boring? How did the Lord's Day become a bore? The problem isn't unique to you and me in our generation because we've already read in Isaiah chapter 58, the Old Covenant people were bored with it. (laughs) 
The, the Old Testament people were just as bored with it as people are today. So how does it get there? How does it move from what God has set it up to be? To something that we dread. Something we can't wait to get out of. It moves from joy to burden as our hearts move from communion to ritual. When it becomes a ritual, when it becomes just something we do, when it becomes I'm getting up and going to church because I do, when it becomes I'm reading my Bible because I do, when, when, this, when this unique day becomes ritualistic, and, I, and I'll tell you, as, as someone who tries, has always tried, to practice Sabbath keeping, and my children can attest. I've never been one who said, you need to do this, 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 and you need to not do this, this, this. Because my concern in doing that is that it's so easy to define this day by the things we can or cannot do, rather than defining this day the way that God has defined it. God has said, this day is Eden all over again. This day is walking with me in the cool of the evening. Walking in the garden with me. That's what this day is. And I want this day for you every single week. It becomes the cycle of your life. Routines become Routine. And that's our problem. That was their problem, and it's ours today. Some of us are creatures of routine. Some of us take routines very, very importantly. I will admit, I have a few routines. I'm not the most structured kind of individual that you will ever meet, but there are some routines that I have. But whatever your routines are, think of your routines. Would you say that you delight in those routines? Maybe your routine is you jog every day. Maybe your routine is, I, mean, I brush my teeth every morning. Let's pick a silly one. I wouldn't say that I take great delight in brushing my, oh, thank you, God, that I don't have, you know, I've got teeth in my mouth to brush. It doesn't become this moment of worship as I'm, as I'm, I'm just doing it, I'm just brushing my teeth. <laughs> and then I'm done with that portion of my routine. And then there's another routine that I do. Beloved, beware the toxic poison gas of the Sabbath as routine. The Song of Solomon, a book that has created a lot of red faces among many people ever since it was first written. The Song of Solomon is a book that ultimately describes
stamps the love of Christ for his church. And that ultimately describes the intimate delight that comes on the Sabbath day. When the bride and the bridegroom are alone in the chamber. When we are apart from the rest of this world. All of this that's out here. It exists, and we're not denying it. But you know, for today, I can set that aside. I can put that aside, and I can come here. And I can know that my God is in control. That my God loves me. That my God is caring for me. And I can be assured and reassured of that. And so, God's covenant people are a Sabbath. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you, if your Christian life is shallow, if your Christian life doesn't do a lot for you, I would really encourage you to rethink how you engage in the Lord's Day. Because it is as we engage in this Lord's Day, I mean, we saw it in Isaiah 58. If you'll stop being a knucklehead (laughs) on my Sabbath day, if you will stop being a knucklehead and do what I tell you to do, guess what I'll do? I will cause you to ride in the heavens. (laughs) I I will lift you up. You will be a glorious, glorious people. And it is in those routines of coming again and again that God does that for us. Thirdly and finally, we see a Sabbath rest. We've seen that very first Sabbath. We've seen what it is to be the people of God structured around the Sabbath. But that Sabbath is a day of rest, and there is a Sabbath rest that we are to strive to enter into. That's an interesting word. Strive to rest. Work your tail off in order to be able to rest. It's like work as hard as you can to go to sleep. (laughs) It just doesn't fit. (laughs) Striving to enter rest does not fit any more than striving to go to sleep. When we see what the Sabbath is, rest from evil, rest from sin, rest in communion with God, Then we see how the first Adam and his rest is engulfed in the second Adam and his rest. Beloved, which work was more important? The work of creation or the work of atonement? not sure you could say one is more important than the other. They're kind of both 
Without creation, you've got no atonement. Without the atonement, creation is just, hey, welcome to hell. But Jesus Christ accomplished, sat down at the right hand of God and rested from his work, his agony, his labor, his work to purchase a people of every tongue and tribe and nation. I open by saying that shame and guilt are the common threads that I think are in everybody. They're certainly common to my pastoral ministry, and they're certainly in my heart. Do you see your Savior? Do you rest in Him? Do you see that Jesus Christ has purchased you and that the Father looks upon you as though you had never sinned? That's an honest question. Do you see yourself that way? Do you honestly see yourself as righteous? If you did, you wouldn't struggle with shame and guilt, would you? And that's our struggle, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, I know. I know my sins are forgiven. Yes, I know. And yet, I don't know. And I'm back and forth and back and forth. Beloved, Jesus Christ is your Sabbath rest. He has completely paid for all of your sin. And this Sabbath day is a day in which again he says so. In which again he says, my blood covered. My life was given so that you might have life. Do you rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ so completely and so securely that you could be back there with Adam on that first Sabbath? Do you rest in what Christ has done? If you're like me, you would say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And again, that's what the Sabbath is for. Because by next Lord's Day, you will have forgotten, and so will I. But we will come again. We will come again by His grace And we will come again and gather. And we will come again and hear his words. Peace. Be still. Beloved, that is what the Sabbath ultimately is. A declaration of peace. A declaration of rest.
all the stuff that is all of our hang-ups could be so alleviated if we would take this gift that God has given to you and use it. The Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. Whether or not that rest involves riding a bicycle or not riding a bicycle, whether that rest involves jogging down the WNOD trail or not jogging down the WNOD trail, hear me clearly, I do not care. I do not care. What I do care about is do you see the perfection of Jesus Christ? His purchasing of you. His setting His seal upon you. And the peace that passes all understanding. Beloved, that is the Sabbath. The Heidelberg Catechism says that we attend upon the public worship and the sacraments. Because really, that's what the sacraments are. They are a further attestation of the Sabbath. They further underscore the truth of the Sabbath. Why are you and I able to rest? Why are you and I able to stand as perfectly harmonious with God as Adam was on that very first Sabbath? Even better, because we're not on probation. Why are we able to know that peace that our first parent knew? And to know it not just because we were created by God, but because you used to be dead, and now you are alive. Beloved, this is a place of rest. This is a place and a sacrament, the bread and the wine, the symbol of God purchasing a Sabbath for you, purchasing rest. As we come to his table, we come striving to enter into this rest. And that's where the striving comes. The putting away of all evil. The putting away of those things that Jesus Christ has conquered. The rededicating of ourselves. That's just what the Sabbath is. Heavenly Father, as we see this glorious Sabbath rest And as we see it in its highest form in Christ Jesus, who is our Sabbath. Father, we thank you. Let us rest in you. In Christ's name, amen.